Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. My name is Shay Kamrichka, and this is Two Temples, the podcast where I talk to people about their psychedelic experiences. You're listening to part two of the conversation with Gerardo Urias about his book, Taking Back My Mind. You can find it on Amazon and Kindle. I left a link to the book in the episode description. If you have anything you'd like to share on the podcast, email me at twotemplespodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to check out part three. Don't forget to subscribe, share, and write a review. Thanks and enjoy. What I, what I understood in that moment on December 22nd and continued to manifest over the next two years is that the key to happiness it, you know, is all inside. It's, it, it heavily lies on your ability to be resilient to change and to adversity. And, you know, the better you can handle adversity, then the happier you'll be because you, you're better at that mechanism, at that, of the um, process of going through shit. If you can go through through shit happy, then there's nothing that's going to get you down, you know. Mm-hmm. And I've felt like that a lot of times. I really have because I've I've just ingrained these stoic quotes in my head to repeat over and over because I had to back then when I was suffering. I had to believe it. So I and I use the psilocybin. I use the breath work. I use these thoughts to really imprint themselves in my head. And you know reestablish the baseline of existence. What do I really need? Is everything really scary? You know, there's a great quote by Seneca, one of the first ones that really drew me to the Stoic philosophy is that we uh, we suffer more often in that imagination than in reality. Um, or the full quote is, uh, we are more often frightened than hurt and we suffer more often in imagination than in reality. And that's pretty much just summing up that, you know, things never turn out as bad as you make them in your head. Yeah. That's just a universe. It's a universal law. It has been for 2,000 years, according to these philosophers. And they were dealing with much bigger problems than we are, you know. Yeah. So it's really believing everything is fine all the time. That, you know, there's just different situations. Yeah. Well, like when, you're, when you have uh, a letter from the bank saying, you have to call us because you owe us this amount of money, like you're anxious about it. And like maybe you put it off for a long time because you you think that they're gonna yell at you or something. But then eventually you call and it's like, hey, how are you doing? Blah blah blah. Okay, we need this and this. And then yeah. then it's like, okay, that was super easy. Why was I so anxious about it? That's just mm-hmm. your mind creating that. That's like it. Yeah. Like you're saying, that's all within. Um, and then when you're dwelling on the past, you're you're also, you know, depressed or anxious or whatever because you can't change the past. Um, right. So with your sort of, you said it was a, a perspective uh, flip, would you say you went from living in the past to being more in the present? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. yeah that, mm-hmm. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's an important yeah, I, switch, eh? Oh, yeah. I mean, such, I mean, that's, that's the key. Really, I guess if I were to sum it up, what happened that day, was precisely that. Um, I I had heard some of these things before. I think I had heard this this idea that if you're depressed, you're living in the past. If you're anxious, you're living in the future. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty certain I'd heard of all that. I tried meditating before. I tried. I kind of tried to dabble in all this stuff. So I knew the concept, of course. But that is much different than actually experiencing it. It's much different than not being able to stop my mind from the rumination. I mean. I can't tell you enough. I'm just, I know everybody knows the feeling, but the constant, constant rumination of, especially for me and how everything happened back in Mexico, 
you know, there was certain conversations and, and then the final breaking point. So in your marriage, you know, if you have a final breaking point where that's it, and that moment, you know, you guys set, she walks away and that's it. And you replay, I replay that over and over in my head. Like, what should I have done? What could I have done? What, I replay it over and over for months and months and months in different conversations. Everybody knows that feeling. And, and you're I just una really unable to stop it. And that becomes your reality. And then I was trying to, like, and I don't even know why you do that. You know, you try and think of these other things. What are you going to do? You, you just, it's insanity. You mm -hmm. go insane. Back in time, you can't have the same conversation. But you want the different result. It's like you try and envision this different result if you had just done this or something. Yeah, but really, so it's not going to happen. Like it's, it's yeah, but it's, it's hard not. to like get that into your mind to like just like okay, whatever it happened, I have to get mm -hmm. past it. Yeah, that just that 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 wasn't coming. That was not happening with me. There was no acceptance at all. I just couldn't stop it. I, I mean, it was insane. So I was literally really was living in the past. And then that day. With mushrooms, and, and within about a half hour or an hour, all of that stopped. Um, and I now understand this after studying the science of it and uh, through writing the book and everything. You know, the, the brain activity, what happens is literally that. Is, it literally traps you into the present moment. So, I mean, you know, we have to realize that all thoughts are actually the product of uh, neurological connections and synapses. So it's it, it, it is kind of a physical a thought is a physical process yeah whatever's happening that's the thought you're having yeah you get into like a rut of thinking about the past and then it's hard to get out of that rut but then you take something yeah. like lsd or um, psilocybin and um yeah it's like a a fresh coat of snow i watch a show that mm -hmm. that described it like that and yes. yeah and then you can sort of like yeah ski on your own path and your brain can sort of make those connections that it couldn't before because there's a huge rut that it would always fall into Exactly. Yeah, that's a great analogy. Mm -hmm. Definitely. <laughs> great analogy for me, too, because the best thing on earth for me is deep powder skiing. Hell yeah. So. <laughs> Excellent analogy. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that's so that's what happens. You know, the, your brain stops that pattern of thinking because of the activity of the psilocybin. And then you're present. You're do just you, in the present moment. Do you feel like you have more control over your thoughts now? Absolutely. Like, oh my God. You this can. Is all, that's, so. sorry, uh, like for, for me, I sort of like, I start thinking about something that I don't want to think about. And like before it would just take over and I would be in this thought loop of like, you know, oh, my girlfriend's cheating on me or, you know, something stupid. But now yeah. I'm able to be like, no, like I want to think about, you know, my podcast or I want to think about, I don't know, whatever, biking or something. I'm able to sort of switch, and so you're able to sort right. of do that as well. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Right on. So, so much. So I mean, before and during this time, that was a zero. Like on a scale from one to ten, controlling thoughts, zero, negative ten. There's no, there was no control whatsoever. Um, and now, yeah, I mean, compared to that, of course, worlds apart. Um, but I, I do feel very much in control of my thoughts from where I came from. Of course, I still have a, a crazy rambling monkey mind. I mean, I think, <laughs> and I think that never goes away. Yeah. But then the tone of the inner monologue, uh, that has changed completely. 
And that's really, I think, the product of all this work is is changing that tone. That's a good way to put it. I never thought about it like that. Instead of like arguing in your mind or having like a negative yeah. tone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, right. Very much. It, because words really matter. You know, the, the, it's every single word matters. Every word exists because it was developed because, you know, every word has a history. It's kind of crazy if you go mm-hmm. into the history of words. It goes back a long way. So this is, they matter, you know, and, and so the words you say in your head matter. And the tone is everything, I think. Before, you know, if, if we were to speak out loud, first of all, everybody would be crazy. The only difference between people and us is, is they're actually speaking out loud, you know? <laughs> yeah. So if everybody was speaking that inner monologue, I know for me back back then, during those days, you know, it would just been like, just fuck, fuck, why did I do this? That, mm-hmm. you know, like that tone, that angry tone. And, and that's personality, and that's built upon an entire belief system which you grew up with your entire life. Most of your... I think I was going to touch on this a little bit. Most of our beliefs, really, when you think about it, are, are they're not our beliefs. We adopted them. You know, most of what we do, we say, everything is adopted. Mm-hmm. We didn't come up with it. You know, we say our parents' beliefs, our, our society, our religious beliefs. They're not our beliefs. So we're adopting. We're just, you know that's kind of where you're living reactively or proactively. Is it your ideas? Did you develop this personality, or is, is your personality a product of a you know, harsh environment where you had to survive and you had to be right all the time. Well, that's me. That that's who I became. That's mm-hmm. who my brother became. You know, and so that's what I've cultivated and changed to where that voice is now kind. It's nicer and it it now says nicer things. Like in the morning I've literally trained myself to um to say one of Marcus Aurelius's quotes in the morning that he would say when he woke up. And uh it's what a precious pri- privilege it is to be alive to breathe, to think, to enjoy, to love. And you say that when you wake up, this first thing in the morning. And I've done it for three years now, so now it's automatic. And now that thought's in my head, and I look out and I see the sun, and I'm like, yeah, life's awesome. Yeah, start your day by being excited about it. Right, exactly, yeah. I like that. It's all, it's, it's it's training, you know, it's all training. So I've trained my thought system that way, so that's why I feel... I'm pretty pretty in control of my thoughts, and when it when it goes off off the rails, I'm quick to catch it, you know, catch it, and it's it's going back to my training. Good, bring it to the breath. Stop talking to yourself, you know. Take a few deep breaths. If you got to get in a Wim Hof session, reset and go. You know, that's all. That's why this this is why I wanted to write this book. It isn't some magical formula. It isn't you know some superpower that I attain. Mm-hmm. It's all practice. The same way we approach a sport. Everybody plays played sports in high school, what did you do? You practiced. You wanted to get good at it. Make life a sport. Think of it as a sport. You know, what is it and what's the goal? The goal is to be happy. You know, I would say to be happy, to be mm-hmm. a better person, better for society. So what do you have to do to get there? What practices do you have to do? These are physical practices, that, you know. So that's, that's a perspective that I've developed, and that's why my voice is kinder in general, my, my inner monologue. And more accepting of all things. Yeah, I I like that Mm -hmm. because you do need to practice. It's not just going to come to you like you. No, and you say it can, but it'll go away. You know, Mm -hmm. like say like like it did for me. That's kind of why I wanted to bring that up. I was good for a year and a half. I was like, hell yeah, life's awesome. Then a little trouble comes by. Uh oh, what do you do? You know, and I stopped. I stopped 
taking my own advice. So I had to, I had to start again, and it worked again. So that's, <laughs> that's proof. You know? Yeah, these obstacles sort of appear right. in your path, and some are bigger and some are smaller, and we just have to learn how to get over those obstacles instead of letting them hold us in one place for too long. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a great book by Ryan Holiday called The Obstacle is the Way. Um, talks a lot about this um, philosophy. Cool. And how, how to do this side, actually. It's a really good book. Yeah. I, I like the name of yours, Taking Back My Mind. That That's a good, it's uh, a good way to put Thanks. it. Yeah, yeah. I think by the end, you know, after you read the book, then then it makes total sense because it's literally what happened is I lost control of my mind, and then my mind was trying to kill me basically, um, which is really what happens. I, I talk about it a little bit in the book, but it really is what happens with very bad depression and suicidal depression, especially because what ended up happening was, you know, I had this story in my head. And so let's call that my ego. My ego is telling me this story. And that story wasn't worthy of living. So my ego in the driver's seat saying, all right, well, this story's done. You're out, you know, one way or another. And it wasn't improving any other way. So either my this ego in my driver's seat was going to take me out through suicide, which happens, you know, 3,000 times a day worldwide. Yeah. Or, or it's going to kill the ego or you or you're going to kill the ego you're going to kill that mental framework yeah I, I feel like paradigm. i feel like that sort of um creates the environment for cancer as well you know like yeah. it yeah. it seems like once you get into that like stagnant depressed um mentality then you're sort of allowing that placebo effect sort of in your mind to you know okay, I'm done with life now, you know, and right. then your body's like, okay, hey, well, we're done. And then they like uh, cancer forms or something, you know? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or it's yes. possible. Uh, I don't know. You're giving the environment to like, right. Absolutely. Um, if, if that area interests you or any of the listeners as well, I would highly recommend looking into Dr. Bruce Lipton, the biology of belief. Um, excellent book about, about that. Uh, I think 90% of all cancer patients are stress-related somehow. Okay. Um, I just had a woman on here uh, on, what day is today? Friday. It was on Tuesday, I think. She's um, She had stage 4 breast cancer. And they told her she had three years to live if she did the chemo and radiation and stuff. And she said no. And she was doing her own thing, like healthy living and um, meditation and ayahuasca and mushrooms and all this stuff. And it's been six years and she hasn't been back to the doctor. Yeah. Oh, so I, like, yeah. we are sort of talking so about the, the placebo so effect and negativity and all that sort of stuff. And it's super interesting. Mm hmm. It is, yeah. The placebo really intrigues me too, like you mentioned earlier. I mean, we, we kind of, it's funny because we've now dismissed the power of the placebo by calling it a placebo. Mm -hmm. So people say, oh, it's just a placebo, so then therefore it's meaningless. Yeah, but or, it can't be meaningless because it's in every single research study. It has to be a factor, well, right? 
Absolutely. And and the way I see it and the way Dr. Bruce Lipton sees it, and I think that's why he wrote this book, The Biology Belief, is the placebo means that the, that's your power of positivity that mm -hmm. healed only the power of the mind. That's huge. You know, the yeah. placebo is huge. I think there is a book, I don't know if he wrote it, but I think there's a book called You Are the Placebo, or there may be Wim Hof related. But anyways, um, there is some serious power in in that. And I know, you know, the, the mind is so incredibly powerful. So mm -hmm. the placebo is just scratching the surface of it. Yeah. Uh, but Our the mind, you know, Dr. Lipton talks about how to, basically how to heal yourself in every area physically, because it all starts with the mind. Yeah, I it find it... I find it so crazy that we're in these advanced, like super smart meat suits, but then the operator, we're just like, oh, I want to play video games or, <laughs> you know, like chasing yeah. tail and we're just, I don't know, driving fast cars. But like we, we're, we're yeah. dumb compared to our bodies. Like our bodies know exactly what to do. Yeah. Right. Right. That's, that's the key, you know, that's really the key with all this is, is kind of get your mind out of the way and let your body do the work, mm -hmm. you know? It is a tool. Use or connect the two. Mm -hmm. Well, right, right. More, yeah, more, more accurately connecting the two. Right. That's mm -hmm. yeah, definitely that's cool. All, that can all be achieved through through breath work, you know, because what that does really is wake up your primitive brain, wake up your sub, which controls your subconscious, and your prefrontal cortex controls your conscious. So when you do this breath work and you activate both regions, you literally are connecting your body and your mind, you know, and and that's kind of the that's the good rabbit hole to go down to, you know, because that's I think endless. I mean, I feel so much more connected to my body and aware of my body and bodily processes more than I ever have before. I mean, it's just insane, and it keeps growing. You, you know, you do more yoga, more med it just keeps on growing. I mean, it's infinite. Yeah, I, I found a huge benefit in um, doing yoga while on LSD yeah like yeah. it just like I said it like loosens up my body so much and mm -hmm. about the six seven eight months ago I couldn't touch my toes like when I'd bend down my back would lock up and the back of my legs would like lock up and I'd be about like six inches from being able to touch my toes and oh, wow. now I can touch my shoulders to my my knees like and nice. like and hold my heels you know and just like be straight and like i'm working on yeah. doing the splits now and stuff but there's just wow. like a i don't know i i just it's so nice being able to move i felt like just like i was just seizing up you know right and it just exactly. yeah yoga is very important it's such a when you're i've done that as well when you're you know doing yoga meditating you know, and you're on some psychedelic. I mean, it see, it's such a gift, right? You just think, wow, what an incredible body yeah. you have. You can almost close it's... your eyes and see your muscles and like feel them yeah. and just get right into your body. Mm -hmm. And there's a certain gratitude that I have for it that, you know, our brain has just taught us to, to dismiss, you know, just the gratitude of being, having a body. Yeah. Of, be, of being alive, you know. Well, and society um, sort of like, forces you to just uh, any like if you're sick you still have to go to work if you broke your leg uh, two days later you still have to go to work you know like you you can never just set aside time to heal but mm -hmm. 
But when you're in those states of mind where you can just like be present and go into your body, that's healing. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. Um, I think Dr. Joe Dispenza healed his back literally through meditation. Um, really? I have to, I, yeah, check him out too. He's really amazing. He's huge into the power of the mind to heal physical physical ailments and things. Um, he's amazing. So he's another case study of basically what we're talking about. Yeah, just using your mind to heal your body. That's, mm -hmm. that's super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you start digging in, you find more and more stories like that. Yeah. So, um, are you cool with telling me a little bit about your your trips, like what they're like and yeah, what, what um? Should we go back to the to the uh, December twenty second? We we'll just call that the big trip. Yeah, sure. Let, uh, let's yeah. hear it. Yeah. So I think I, we kind of left off where um, it was about a half hour hour into it, <clears throat> and then. We took a walk down the beach, down to the pier. My sister lives like a half hour walk from the pier, and walking down the pier, and checking out the ocean. So before that, uh, I hadn't really noticed anything around me. I was just kind of in a dark hole, and, and I didn't pay too much attention to the, the water, or the ocean, which is really sort of tunnel because, vision, um, like you just focused on your problems instead of like yeah, seeing the beauty. Right. Yeah, there's never like a like a, a beach day, you know. Like, yeah. And I lived on the beach. We lived one block from the beach, and I, I grew up surfing. So it was very, you know, just very odd. Um, Did you just take it for granted, maybe? Like it's just that's where well, you live. That's. It just wasn't part of my story. Okay. You know? It just it lost all importance. Okay. Uh, it lost all importance. All all I could focus on was. I mean, at that point, it wasn't. It was over. You know, the marriage was over, but I, I still had hope. So you have, you go through all those things, you know, yeah. and so if you know if you have hope and that's all I'm focusing on, how can I make this marriage work, you know? Um, after my dad passed away, then obviously that was on my mind. So I, all the good things just kind of exited my mind, and I just hadn't really noticed the ocean. And as we were walking down towards the pier, I started to feel the mushrooms, and I felt that euphoric buzz kind of creeping on and I remembered that precise feeling from you know 20 years ago back in Germany I, and it was like a nostalgic feeling it kind of took me back to that to that mental state and I thought oh man that's right you know this is nice life and, can and feel right good there, yeah like I feel good <laughs> you know and I can smile on my face and you know, I think it's right there where all the other thoughts just kind of dissipated. And then I was just like, okay. And I look out the ocean, and it was bright blue. It was bright, bright blue. The waves were crashing, and dolphins were swimming in the in the waves. Wow. And sea, um, yeah, seagulls and pelicans. Freaking, you know, pelicans surf the waves so beautifully. <laughs> cool. And all of that activity going on, and but it struck me that the ocean was blue. Because it wasn't blue before, I, I real I, you know I, I saw this bright blue. I was like, oh my God, it's so bright, it's just so damn bright. And I was kind of going back through my head a little bit of the past, you know, ten months. You know, how sometimes you can see a snapshot of time when you're in that psychedelic state. You can kind of yeah visualize a whole snapshot of time. And I just realized that 
damn, the the ocean had kind of turned gray. Like I I sort of literally lost color. Right. And yeah, and I was just like I I haven't seen this ocean, this blue ocean for a long time. And I was mesmerized by that. I was I couldn't believe it. Um, this was later corroborated in the book. I did some testimonials with some people in some different sections. The Wim Hof Method has a section of testimonials. There's a guy who has a testimonial that has bipolar disorder. Through his journey with bipolar, and he treats it with the Wim Hof Method. That's why he's in there. And he went through his, uh, during his bipolar um, journey, it was, I think, 30 years or suffered with it. He lost color at one point. All of a sudden, everything turned gray after he got on, I think, on his medications. So something happened to him where during his bipolar depression, something he lost color and everything went gray. And then the Wim Hof method, and that lasted for a while. So his world went gray. And then the Wim Hof method one day when he was going really deep with it, brought his color back. And then he's had color ever since, just like me. So we had very similar things happen, me with psilocybin that day and him with breathwork with the Wim Hof method. And so that's in my book there, just kind of as, a, as a, something to remember and to look into. You know, it's really interesting. And so the oceans basically stayed that color, so it never reverted back to the gray. And that's why I'm very intrigued with this. It's um, cool how, like, the clouds in your mind – or not cool. Well, it's intriguing how the clouds yeah, yeah. in your mind can actually cast shade over what you're seeing and, like, darken yeah. everything around you. Yeah, I, I really do think – that that is a product of my mind sort of balance matching everything you know your your mind is dark and gray it was dark and gray for months and it, it just kind of matched my visual world as dark and gray yeah i don't remember i don't remember in that time ever seeing a, a bright nice day it was always kind of gray and gloomy but that doesn't make sense it's san diego california it's always sunny <laughs> It's always sunny oh. in California. And <laughs> Philadelphia. So, yeah, it's, it was insane. And so from that moment, I just really was noticing the dolphins and the pelicans in the water, and we're getting in the water. Um, we walked up and down the pier for about an hour and started to feel it really pretty strong. And we were, I, I mean, there was, at that point, there's no thinking about anything else except what you're doing right then and you're familiar with that feeling doing psychedelics so again you're trapped literally into the present moment you're not living in the past anymore you're not thinking about your marriage you're not thinking about your dad you are here on this pier and there's so much stimuli and so much physical stimuli and visual stimuli and there's just so much to notice you yeah know? you can feel the wind and you can hear the uh -huh. birds and the waves and the and everything right. yeah right and you know and that so after this i researched how it works and all that um and it is quite interesting because you know all these things are always there the wind is always there the ocean is always there everything's always there the function of the ego the function of our default work which is a, a little bit of the science i put in in the book to kind of explain the mechanisms in the brain of what happened but, uh, you know, the default mode network makes you habituate to everything around you so you hone in on what's dangerous. And that's just, that's our you know, two million year old brain doing that. Is, and so we stop noticing the wind, we stop noticing everything. 
that's that's kind of the existence we know and that's the illusion in itself so psychedelics what they do is they they reset you to notice what is actually going on so we and sort of, kind of get into like a survival mode where like we know the wind's not going to hurt me we know like the sun's yeah. not going to hurt me like but so you're focusing on what can yeah okay exactly you're thinking about what's going on at work tomorrow mm-hmm as you're as you're walking down the beach, you know. I'm just saying, like normal normal life for most adults. Yeah. Okay. You go out and walk, but you're you're thinking about work. You're thinking about you know. You're not really paying attention to the pelican. Yeah. You know, you're just not present, you know. And so, you know, that's the that's what it is. That's what psychedelics do is they just force you to be present. And all that stuff, it's not that it's not real. You know, people have this misconception about psychedelics that they make you see things that aren't there. They make you hallucinate. You know, I hate that word hallucinate because waking life is a hallucination. What we are experiencing every day of our life is a hallucination because of the product of the default mode network, because the brain makes us habituate to everything around us so that we hone in on threats. Threats is not all there is in the world. There's a lot of beauty and a lot of magic and a lot of unexplainable, incredible things in the world that our brain has been developed to ignore and dismiss because it isn't necessary for survival. So yeah. it's not that it's not there. You, you see, you know, you take psychedelics and you, whoa, everything comes alive all of a sudden. It's not that you're seeing things that aren't there. I, I believe psychedelics actually bring us closer to reality because now you're seeing everything that already was alive. Everything already is alive. You just weren't noticing it. That's why you notice all the ants. <laughs> if you have a really, a really heavy trip and you see ants, yeah, you notice all the bugs in the trees because you're actually noticing them. And you can you're feel like shut- connections between things and you can feel energies. And yeah, it's like it opens up your senses to perceive more than the small, um, the small yeah. amount that they're meant to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. I think reality, waking reality as adults, is a very narrow bandwidth of reality. Because we, we only sliver, a sliver of light. Yeah, we only see like one percent of light or something, and we only hear between what is it like fifteen hertz and twenty thousand hertz or something, or seventeen thousand hertz, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Right, right. But um, it, it goes way past that. We just can't hear it. Right. Yep. Yeah, there's this guy, uh, what's his name, a scientist, I think, Buck, Buckminster. Uh, he basically said, yeah, the bandwidth of the spectrum of light and sound that we hear and see is less than one millionth of reality. Yeah, so you know? <laughs> I guess that's why we need so many uh, different sensors and different machines to right. to see the rest of reality. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And that's just, you know, I'm just talking about the physical nature that we can and mm-hmm. do see. I, I'm not even talking metaphysical or spiritual or other levels or realms of consciousness. I'm just talking about you're actually noticing the birds because they're, they are there. It's not, you know, it's not um, that everything comes alive. It's that everything is already alive, but you are just noticing it because your brain is allowing you to notice it. Yeah. So, so that's reality, you know. It's not reality to to not notice anything that's going around you. That's sort of a haze. Yeah. I feel like psychedelics, like one thing that helps is like you're not able to keep a 
um a thought going for super long you know like it it just like cuts off and like if you're trying to explain something to somebody like you your mind is going so much faster than your mouth can so like you just like it either loops or you forget what you're talking about or whatever and that's like very helpful when it comes to getting over even ptsd or depression or anxiety or whatever just anything that you're constantly thinking about it just right. allows it to allows you to forget about it almost like just mm-hmm. maybe maybe there's some trips where you do dwell on it but those are the sort of the healing trips anyway i've noticed right mm-hmm. yeah definitely and i think that also sort of creates the distinction between your mind and your thoughts and language because like you said your your thoughts are running faster than your mouth can move and normally we sort of equate ourselves with our language and what our inner monologue is saying and it's kind of dictating everything. But we don't normally think in terms of intuitive thinking, intuitive knowing, you know, like a knowledge that transcends language, which is most of knowledge. Yeah. And, and most, of, most of these ideas we get during psychedelic experiences cannot be put into language um, fully. You, you just can't. The words aren't there. Yeah, because uh, a lot of the time it's emotion or like a, a full thought in like an instant. Right, right. And but that thought, you know, I mean, I've my heavier experiences. You have this this understanding of of the world, of the universe. You have this a knowing, a certain. You know, they call it the noetic that it's a a. a certainty that is uh, objective fact, not, not subjective opinion about the universe. And that knowing, that understanding, it's way beyond language. Yeah. And without diving into psychedelics or meditation or breath or something that wakes up, I think it's the body's intelligence really that's, that's making you feel that. Um, unless you do that, then your knowledge is always going to be limited to language. And then that's limiting your knowledge. Yeah. Because language is, you know, it hasn't been around that long and it's got, it's flawed. Yeah, I think that's where I find so much um, help through psychedelics is, you know, you're able to learn things on your own without reading about other people experiencing mm-hmm. something and or other people teaching you. Like you're, you're learning not hands-on but like brain on (laughs) you know like you're you're right in there and like something is sort of giving you a message or a lesson or whatever right like i i I was on i i just had a recent um lsd trip and i i'm I'm using it to fix my uh, my ear and my tinnitus and there's one part that it was like it was just fixing and it was about to like sort of like you know pop or whatever and it almost like it felt like okay do you know this lesson that we're teaching you or like do you did you see what we just showed you can you bring it back to reality and i was like yeah yeah uh no and then it happened i was like shit what was it <laughs> damn it <laughs> like I, I i forgot what it just told me to like remember and i was like damn but hopefully yeah. <laughs> like next trip it'll like spark something where it's like okay that's what it told me you know Yep. Just, yeah. But like, it's so hard to bring these things back because, like you said, we don't have words for them. There's no vocabulary. Like, it's. 
It's hard to bring the thought back if you can't put it into words in your own mind. Uh huh. Yeah. Exactly. So. Yeah. It just goes so fast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's uh, it's quite amazing. Um, quite amazing. I let me see. So yeah, yeah. I mean, just that you know that grew stronger and stronger, and that <clears throat> that level of understanding. I, I think. I did reach a little bit of a level of ego dissolution, not as they describe it, not like a strong feeling of physical ego, ego dissolution where I just you know, dissolved. I had that happen in Oaxaca. It's in the book, um, in the trip that I took down there. I went down there last summer and spent the summer down there to shoot a documentary about all this. And so oh, that's part of cool. a chapter in the book. Yeah, yeah, there's a the, uh, epilogue. The last chapter in the book is about my ego-dissolving um, journey in Oaxaca, in the mountains of Oaxaca. It was amazing. Okay, so, so with this cool. first, with this uh, December 22nd trip, was it more like a, sort of uh, sanding it down a little bit, you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. it's not as... Yeah, it, was, it was just kind of a simple taking, plucking me out of my perspective, and just placing me, you know, a little bit higher on a hill, looking down at my life. Okay. It, it just flipped the perspective to all of a sudden. Um, really, it was seeing the truth. I mean, it wasn't even like a like great epiphanies or anything. It was just seeing after the an hour or two of just like playing in the water and, and loving life because you know at this point we walked back to the apartment and we were like oh man we have all day ahead of us what are we going to do it was a low tide and on low tide in uh sand in oceanside you can walk for miles and miles so we decided to pack a day bag and walk south walk the other direction down to carlsbad and so we did that and it took all day and we had just the best walk and we were talking obviously about stuff talking about life and connecting and, and having a, an incredible, incredible time, a joyful day, feeling physically great. Mentally, I was just great because I, I was just present. I was like, I'm at the beach and it's a great day. And it's really nice and very simple thing, you know? And, um, but then, you know, I started thinking, okay, uh, you know, I was just depressed like a few hours ago. What's going on here? <laughs> What's going on in my life? You know? And so I, I started reflecting, thinking, and I mean, I just thought it's, it's, I didn't realize cause I'd known it, but I saw, well, okay. We, we were married for four years. We had been having issues for three years. We were fighting a lot. It was two very strong ego driven people, uh, driven and very motivated. I think both of us for living this grand life, you know, um, so very, bullheaded, strong ego with anger issues. We both had anger issues. And it was just clashing and for years, and we fought a lot, a lot, a lot. And there was a lot of trauma in our marriage, and it was, it was not a surprise, you know? It was just a realization of, duh, of course. Like it. And then and I saw how my anger manifested from my childhood. You know, it started connecting the dots of why I am the way I am. Okay. And just like the traumas, you mean? Like you're seeing yeah, sort of the yeah. traumas that led to these? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, why, you know, why I have anger issues, why I have, um, why I have the issues I have, basically, which, okay. which resulted in a very big ego. I, I really did, now I realize I had a big ego most of my life. Um, and, you know, I believe my ex-wife 
she had anger issues. I don't know about a huge ego, but definitely anger issues and egos behind anger. Um, so it was just clashing. It, it was on the rocks. My marriage was always on the rocks, basically. So it was just an acceptance of, and, and all, in a way that, that, you know, a teacher, like the universe taught me, like, this isn't rocket science, man. You, if you get pissed off that many times in a marriage, it's not going to work. Hmm. And it was just acceptance of this simple fact. It's like, yeah, okay, well, I have to, um, I got to get my anger under control somehow. <laughs> yeah, I have to. It was a f clear acceptance, basically, like a very clear visual of what happened in, in a very simple way. Like if it was a teacher telling you, okay, you yell, you, you've gotten this many fights, and you, that eventually is going to deteriorate any relationship. It's, it's not rocket science. And I just accepted it. And I just thought, yeah, okay, well, all right. Well, I'll do better next time. It was just a simple acceptance, really. The take care of my marriage part of it, you know. And then I was thinking of my dad. And um, at this point, I hadn't really gotten into philosophy yet. But, you know, I was able to just accept my dad's passing away also. Um, just fully accept it. Uh, and it just life and and use it to fuel my gratitude for life you know so i was able in that moment to just think how lucky i am to feel so good at this moment to be happy in this moment right now and i have this life and my dad passed away and I, i'm gonna pass away eventually and kind of was i was able to just view that perspective for that day in a nice way you know um the ear thing was still going on and so that was still a worry in my mind but it wasn't that it wasn't a worry at this point you know, I, I I was just having a great day, um, and and then we continued having a great day. We we got to Carlsbad and, and oh yeah, the story gets even better. Got to Carlsbad. It was sunset, and we sat down and watched the sunset. Very beautiful, amazing, incredible sunset. Of course, everything bright colors and the the red against the blue and all the dolphins. Super incredible, and we were so happy at this point because now I've been like six hours into it, walking probably four or five miles on the beach um, in the water and just tired, you know, that tired feeling after the beach, but super happy and, and in a celebratory state because we both knew that I was happy. And just like, man, I can't believe, really, I can't believe that I'm having such a great day when, like, for the life of me, I wanted to kill myself just yesterday. Mm -hmm. And that had been for 10 months, you know? And so we were like, man, we got to celebrate. So we walked up to the close uh, restaurant bar that I used to frequent a lot back when I worked in Carlsbad um, many years before. And so we sat down and we ordered a round of drinks just to celebrate. Now we're on the come down and we're, everything's just feeling good. You know, we're definitely back in control. And just, but feeling the, the afterglow, feeling right. very, very good. You know, and, and we sat down to order our drinks, order our drinks. And then some people outside of the restaurant were sort of yelling and screaming up at the sky, pointing up to the sky and like excitedly like, what is that? And we were like, what's going on? And so we went outside, out, outside the restaurant and they were looking up and there was, there was fireballs across the sky. These three fireballs, just super bright, like um, fireworks, like oh, okay. fireworks. And we were feeling, we were still, you know, we were feeling good. And we were like, what's going on? And everybody came outside of the restaurant looking at the sky. And people were talking about it. What the hell's going on? Aliens. <laughs> and just having a good time, you know. Everybody, and everybody is outside of the restaurant looking up at the sky. And we're still feeling pretty euphoric from the, from the journey. And it felt kind of like everybody was in our trip because 
everybody's pointing up looking at the sky at these fireballs. <laughs> and we were like, wow, this is incredible. And it turned out it was uh, one of Elon Musk's rockets, his Falcon 9s he just launched from Santa Barbara. Oh, okay. And it was just illuminating the entire sky. And so that that was exciting for for a while. And I was just up there looking like, wow, this is this is the best finish to the day. I can't believe it. And just kind of the symbolism of, of you know, the rocket and like <laughs> what Elon Musk is trying to do and breaking through barriers and success and joy and all these feelings were just kind of going through me as I was looking up at the sky at the rockets and like literally transcendence, you know, breaking through the, the atmosphere, break, all, all these thoughts that you can't really put into words, but they tied into the sentiment of the day and, and my liberation and how how symbolic of that day of really breaking through my mental state and uh, it just capped off the night so great and so we sat back down and after that we went down to we hopped on the train and went down to my niece um, her boyfriend's mom's house and we hung out with them the rest of the night and had a great time um, they're really cool we've been pretty close they knew we, we had done the mushrooms and so we were we went to um, pizza pour and just had had beer and talked about our day and it was incredible and laughed and then went to sleep. How was, was the, the alcohol? Most... How did the alcohol react to? We only had one and then another. So we only had like two drinks. Um, and it, yeah, it, caught, it uh, just kind of lulled me to sleep really. Okay. Uh, yeah. After that, we went back to their place and we stayed up for a little while talking and laughing and, and having a great time. Um, but it just kind of, I mean, I don't like actually doing that. I don't like mixing them at all. Yeah. Uh, I don't. It just happened to be right on our path, and this whole thing was, you know, so it definitely didn't it added to the whole night because it just did. But, of course, I don't recommend that. I don't like doing that. Um, and this whole thing, this whole journey, my whole experience with this, this isn't the therapeutic settings that they're doing in research right now. So, you know, I do, I do want people to understand that. Um, this is how I did it, and it worked for me, and I've had plenty of experience back in my youth with them. I felt comfortable doing it. It turned out fine, just like I thought. But, you know, at the same time with this book, I'm trying to raise awareness to decriminalize psilocybin, MDMA, all of these entheogens for mental health. But the way that they're going to do that is in a therapeutic setting. You're going to be in an office with two therapists. You're going to take MDMA or psilocybin. You're going to it's a full program, you know, it's completely different from what I did. Mm -hmm. I feel stories. like that nature aspect is very helpful, though. Like, some people will definitely get a lot out of being in a, like, therapeutic set setting. But there's so much therapy within nature, you know, like, just being grounded and just being... You know, like yeah. like seeing the the ocean and seeing the dolphins, or you know, uh, even being out in a field and seeing cows and seeing horses and like uh, I don't know. I feel like like I said, like a lot of people will benefit from the therapy, their therapeutic setting. But mm -hmm. it'd be nice if they would. I mean, and I'm sure they will in the future, but have more of a sort of shamanic um, wilderness sort yeah. of setting like right. like in a tent or a teepee or a, a, a you know whatever a cave maybe <laughs> who knows just to you know because some people just need to be grounded and get more in touch with nature definitely so everybody i guess everybody we'll see
I mean, I'm I'm torn on not torn, but I think they're you know they both have their their aspects that are that are great. Um, I absolutely think nature is an integral part of the process. I honestly wouldn't really want to do it in a therapeutic setting the way it is now. I would rather be out in nature. Yeah, I was just gonna ask you that because I yeah like you you were with somebody you trusted in a place that you knew and were comfortable with and like was beautiful compared to sort of like a you know a a lit up white room with two people that you've Mm -hmm. only met a couple times yeah exactly exactly i don't you know and i do want to try that um i think on this whole book journey i will try it at some point i'm trying to i'm trying to make connections with some um psychedelic therapy clinics throughout the world um, so I can help raise awareness for people to go to these places where they're legal. Okay. Did you just and, say you're planning on writing another book? Well, I will definitely be writing a second edition to this okay. as the science and everything evolves. So this book, you know, eventually will have uh, an updated second edition with updated science, updated uh, journey really uh so i do plan the follow-up to this book i do plan another book that's about a different topic but uh for the for now i'm still i just published this one so i'm definitely working heavily on this one and i'm still working on this as well i mean it's a rapidly um evolving scene so there's lots of changes going on even from when i started writing the book um so there's still, I'm still, you know, working on this book and definitely getting it out there. I mean, I, um, book sales are still pretty slow. COVID's probably affected it. Uh, but my mission is to get this in as many hands as possible because I really do think, I know that the information in here can change your life in 24 hours, you know. Um, so that's my mission with all this, definitely. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, but... Uh, where was I going with that before the book? What are we talking about? Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> therapy? <laughs> like the therapy sessions oh, in right, nature? The therapy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Uh, so I will try that at some point. Um, and if I do, I would like to plug the chapter, that chapter into the book. So that is something, something that's on the horizon. Because, again, I did these. There's In the book, I, uh, I described two or three different experiences and those were all on my own not recreational i guess you can call it recreational because i was on the beach walking on the beach you know most you know people would call that recreational but i i found it therapeutic it was a therapeutic form of doing it in my in an environment that i was comfortable with yeah i I more see it depending on the intentions right right Mm -hmm. and uh, you know that and that's the i think the preferred way, but I'll see. I'm going to try out the the official therapeutic way of doing it. I think I can get some benefit definitely from that. Um, and, I, you know, there's no right and wrong. I think they're both, they both have their uses. Especially and this I early in the all... game. Like, right. we have to experience right. both to see which one is. And mm-hmm. it might be totally different for the next person, you know. Just, yeah. We're all different, and we have to see what works for each of us. Right. And maybe there's a third option where it's like it starts in nature and then it goes more into the the right. therapeutic setting or yes. you know like there's this is kind of ground zero we're just starting mm-hmm. i think that's probably the 
of the, the best of both worlds. Um, because it's kind of a continuum too, I guess. You know, if you can go out in nature and wherever you are comfortable, you can do that with up to about three grams. When you, if you're trying to take four or five grams, then you're pretty much going to be late in bed anyways. So then I think that's, yeah. okay, well, that's time then for a therapeutic setting where, because you're literally, you're physically going to dissolve. You're not going to be walking around. So you might as well blindfold yourself and put some music on by a playlist that's been curated by these therapeutic, you know, these specialists. The, the music itself is designed to take you on a journey. You know, there's a lot of science behind that. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. So there's, a whole, there's a whole potential to that that I, I don't really even know because this has all been self-administered. So um, I do, I'm going to explore that and I, I will include that chapter in the book as well. Cool. Um, yeah. do, you, do you think that like one day you would be able to be a, a, a at least like a helper of sorts or like to have I the knowledge so. to share some sort of... I do. Yeah. Very, absolutely. Yeah. I really want to get into this psychedelic arena. Um, so I'm hoping with this book I can connect, like I said, uh, with some therapy. Uh, psychedelic therapy facilities and hopefully get into that that work somehow um, ultimately it's I want to do whatever I can to help to deliver these tools into the people into the hands of people who need them mm -hmm. and so I could see whether it's being a therapist or just working in the field somehow um, Right now, I'm just trying to sell the book, and then part of the proceeds, I am going to donate to psychedelic research and therapy facilities. So that's one way. Maybe if the book is successful, I can open my own. Um, that is the area that this book is the stepping stone to get into, though. It is exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, that's that's cool. I, I'm sort of interested in that too, of just like being able to somehow use my knowledge to help people. You know. And like that's where I sort of came up with the idea for this podcast is just to, you know, help right. help people get their ideas and their experiences out there. Mm -hmm. You know, because like so many people are using these substances um, for therapeutic reasons, and right. a lot of the, like I, like I see people post on these groups and and whatnot, but I don't know. I just I just feel like trying to put it out there a little more. So. Definitely, and it all helps, you know, this podcast, whoever listens to it, the conversation just has to be had, It's it's been halted, it's been taboo for 50 years, and that's been the norm, and now we know through science that that's all BS, Yeah. and so I, you know, I think we have to start talking about it with more and more people, through the book, through this podcast, the people in your circles, and more than, you know, I'm experiencing right now, like I said, with my friends and family, friends now understand what I'm doing family still hesitant but the more I talk about it the more it becomes normal you know and yeah the more this conversation becomes normal I think it'll just start to slowly change the societal view towards it kind of like marijuana so go back to 20 30 years most people would be oh marijuana is bad it's a drug now I think over 60 70 percent of uh, Americans believe yeah it's a medicine it's, it's okay well even a few years ago when it was becoming legal um, a lot of people yeah. had the mentality that like society is going to crash and like we're like we're <laughs> we're just going to ruin everything that we built but like yeah. literally it, nothing it happened other than people smoking a little weed <laughs> right exactly and not well, getting I mean, arrested I think, I think about that that's fear that's societal fear everything that happens in society you can boil down to what happens in the mind of a person of an individual 
it's societal fear, just like an individual has fear of the unknown. Yeah. And so the society has this fear of this unknown, the psychedelics. Oh my God, it's scary. All I know is from the sixties and people went crazy. No, none of that's true. You know, so we have to start talking about facts and about science and about history and, and become normal so that, so that it's common knowledge. You know, I, my goal, I hope in, in the next decade that it's common knowledge, psychedelics are harmless, that they're extremely powerful for mental health, that there's no more SSRIs and antidepressants because they aren't necessary. Mm-hmm. Or at least drastically reduced because, you know, maybe they do um, help people, but I also feel like they're more of uh, just like a numbing agent, you know, like like most um, most pills seem to be. They don't really get right to the root. They just, you know, numb it for a bit, suppress the feelings. Um, But psychedelics get right to the root cause and just pull out that trauma that caused it. Show you the trauma. Look, this is what happened. Get over it, sucker, and then you're right. then you're over it. <laughs> it might take a few <laughs> sessions or like you know whatever, but yeah, but it's right. It, it fixes it, you know. Where the others are, are band aids. Yeah, and I think that's across the board. And a dependency at that point, you know, like then you're dependent on that band aid. Yeah, and a dependency, and that goes back into why. <laughs> Why are they? Uh, why are those the successful ones? Well, what a dependency creates repeat customers and yeah. more, more money. More money, more money. <laughs> that whole rabbit hole, you know. So it's a big fight ahead of us. Yeah. Um, but with the, you know, we have science on our side, and with the results that we're getting, I believe it's. I think MDMA will be legal in the next two years. I think and so. That'll be the. I think that'll be the first domino block to fall, and then you know, psilocybin. Well, psilocybin seems to. Well, I guess it's being decriminalized in places, right? Not, not legalized. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I find it and better I that way, though. Me. Like in Canada, they really screwed up the whole legalization of marijuana. You know, they. Really. Yeah, they. I don't know. It's all these big corporations now, like uh, mm-hmm. Tweed and Aurora, and you know whatever. But what mm-hmm. they should have done is just make it. So anybody can grow it. Like they just, right? If you're gonna sell it, then you have to like buy a a permit or something, and then you have a quality control measure. You get your weed tested, and then you can sell it to either stores or like private, like you like bring it to like a a farmers market or something. You know, like why is it such an issue? And like the the weed that they're selling legally sucks, it's bad. Oh really? Yeah. Wow. Like there's always issues with it. There's recall issues. There's mold. There's like they're using pesticides they shouldn't. Like it's just a big mess. I've the only stuff I bought legally gave me a headache, which is not good. <laughs> I've never had a headache from any other weed, so wow. that sort of Crazy. says something. But. Yeah, I feel like yeah. decriminalization would just be a better overall, at least starting point. Make it so they're not chasing people who have weed. Just don't make right. it illegal, you know? Um, right, right. But... Yeah, I think it's a good start. It is. Uh, they they messed up a lot of things with marijuana legalization here in the U.S. too. And um, the people in charge of league of decriminalizing i think they've recognized the mistakes that have been made with marijuana so they're kind of replicating the roadmap to legalization but trying to fix 
the problems with you know full-on commercialization of marijuana yeah so hopefully this will be improved and yeah yeah you know, stepping stones i guess yeah mm -hmm. learn hopefully we learn from this though and not just see it as like a failure you know at least in canada because like it really is not doing well like uh, aurora is shutting down a bunch of stores and like it's wow. it's not going good but yeah all they had to do was just make it so that you know open up the market not you know they they made it legal yeah. but then they like created the market which is right. a bad thing to do because right when it became legal the yeah. the stores that were approved to sell it didn't have stock so like right. all of a sudden oh we ran out of weed no like there's so much weed out there it's just we weren't yeah. <laughs> we didn't have access to it because it's like not from a licensed grower or like a registered grower or something you know it's just a bunch of little things that sort of just create a big right. issue but yeah hopefully yeah. we learn from them that's all mm -hmm. yeah a lot of the same stuff happening here a lot of big companies eating out the small dispensaries yeah and then tapping you know it's it's expensive so taxing the hell out of it and that kind of defeats the purpose because it's cheaper, still cheaper to get it on the black market. Yeah. So then what's the point? And, and there is no, if anything, the black market still has a little bit of better weed other than like maybe yeah. medicinal right. places might have really good stuff. Yeah. But yeah, mm -hmm. I don't know. We'll see, I guess. Yeah. Lots of mistakes. Um, yeah. <laughs> we'll see how it goes with, uh, with decriminalizing. But I, I do see it as a better start. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. Well, we're... hopefully we'll jump from the from just specific psychedelics like in Denver they legalize or decriminalize psilocybin. Santa Cruz and Oakland um, decriminalized all entheogens, so that's a great thing because if you can start with decriminalizing all of nature, that's a great stepping stone. You know, so, like so what does that mean? That means anything that is a natural. Yeah, any naturally plant or so basically ayahuasca, mescaline, you know, from peyote, any any plant that comes from nature that's typically used in spiritual or religious practices, call them, they call them entheogens, and so in Oakland and Santa Cruz, that's what's decriminalized. Okay. So any any plant medicine like that. I like that. I know that yeah. um, here in Canada, peyote has always been legal. Mm -hmm. uh, peyote, oh, yeah. yeah, peyote. I yeah. think. Peyote, um, yeah. It, like I they they left it out of the the like drug act or whatever because they didn't want to sort of screw with any of the traditions with the Aboriginals, but they also didn't want to like write in to that act that you know having sort of a an exception because then other other people will want an exception and stuff so they just sort of left it out and left it legal oh, okay. as long as it's like within the plant to extract the mescaline is illegal but to have like a peyote cactus or a, a mescaline cactus is legal okay right yeah little loopholes yeah there, and there i mean it's just absurd to make any plant or anything that grows you know illegal mm -hmm. I've I've never uh, <laughs> never understood that. Yeah, especially. It's only, it's only been recent. I mean, obviously, thousands of years humans have coexisted with these plants, and so we're only talking the last hundred years. We've decided, you know, as a society, decided these things are bad. 
yeah, I don't, uh, I don't buy that. Well, and to like cause harm or potential harm yeah, by true. arresting people and charging people for doing a substance that really doesn't cause any harm. Right. You know, like marijuana, <laughs> like mushrooms, like mm -hmm. as long as you're not doing something illegal while on them, you know, like driving a right. car while tripping balls or something, you know, then there shouldn't be an right. issue. Mm -hmm. But you know, this is how much we kind of don't put place importance on words because the, the regular paradigm that most people think are the, these are psychedelics and therefore whatever the FDA says, right? What do they say? Oh, it's a schedule one drug. What does that mean? That means that as literally it, it, it reads no medicinal value and a high, uh, a high, uh, chance for abuse or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Hi. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Potential high for potential. Yeah. High yeah. potential for abuse. That's what it is. No medicinal value and a high potential for abuse. And marijuana was in there too. And marijuana was in there. Yeah. But that's a that's a lie. That's a flat out lie. Mm -hmm. You look at all the science. You look at the thousands of studies of science. It is not addictive. So there is no potential for abuse. And it has all the medicinal value in the world for mental health. Well, and so before before weed was made illegal, it was basically strictly a medicine. Nobody really smoked it to get high. It was just, yeah. it was like in pharmacies and stuff. It was a medication. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So it's odd. Exactly. So, you know, yeah, we need to start clearing up these lies and... Uh, I mean, that's such a big one right there. I just can't believe all the science proves the exact opposite, and yet we're still operating under this complete lie of no medicinal value, high potential for abuse. Yeah, I guess that's why they made it illegal, so there was no science to prove otherwise. Right, and it worked. <laughs> it did work. work. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. But we're back. We're, we're back. back. We're coming, <laughs> motherfucker. We're getting you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're a little yeah. over two hours yeah. here. Do you have any other experiences you want to talk about? Um, let's see. So that was, I kind of wrapped up that December 22nd day. Um, that turned everything around. You know, I went to Lake Tahoe. I continued doing that stuff up there. Uh, after that, I went down to Mexico again. Yeah, so the other experience that I, that I had, which I was telling you about in Oaxaca this last summer, I went down with a friend who's a videographer, and we spent a month or so down there shooting, um, filming the area, and, and talking to some of the locals, some of the local Mazatec Indians who, you know, their ancestors have been using these mushrooms for, for hundreds of years, thousands of years they've been using it down there. Mexico. Would you send me a link to this documentary? It's not out yet. That's a, that's a long-running project, okay. um, mainly because of funding, you know, so... That's not, that's in its inception really still. Okay. I just started doing that last summer. Um, but when and if it does come out, it'll be the same name taken off my mind. It's okay. basically documenting about the book and my journey. Oh, cool. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I've just figured, you know, when I started writing the book, like I told you, I, I realized I was just beginning a journey and I could kind of write about the journey as, as I was in real time as it was developing. And then this last summer, my friend reached out and said, hey, what about shooting like a little documentary, a mini documentary or something? She was interested in it too because she had some issues. She'd never done any psychedelics. So I told her, yeah, let's go down to Oaxaca. She can try them out. 
and we actually it it started kind of as a documentary to help her out kind of morphed along to maybe it could revolve more around what my story is but she did try it for the first time ever it really did help her for a good few weeks she had some complications with a, a relationship and some things complicated it but she definitely felt the benefit uh, and so that was a really really cool magical trip that we had up there um, and I so we both kind of played each other's trip sitters and we filmed we filmed both of them okay so did you and, like one of you would trip the other would sit and then the next night yeah. so, or would you trip together and just yeah, sort of... I think we took a day in between okay so she did it first and then I was I was there for her to hold space and and so I, I kind of have already done the the trip sitting thing and I that's why I feel that I really like it um but kind of want to go into that field somehow um and, and yeah so she she had her experience um, she saw many visuals, which I did too, actually. So we both had visuals. Um, she saw this mushroom man, <laughs> like a, a figure of a mushroom into a man, and, and this mushroom man was telling her all these things and kind of teaching her some insights and whatnot. Um, so she had a really interesting journey. And then a few nights later, I did it, and I wanted to do it as they're doing it. I wanted to try and replicate what they're doing in the research now. And so I put a blindfold on. I had a playlist, this uh, what I listen to when I do my yoga. I had a playlist, and I put music on. And then she just was there in case any I freaked out or anything happened. And and so I laid down. And this trip was really strong. Um, this is where I dissolved. Um, and so I was pretty much in the bed most of the time, other than getting up, walking around a bit, and going to the bathroom and whatnot. And this was definitely strong. I, I basically dissolved down to carbon dioxide and oxygen. I start. I was doing a little bit of breath work during it. I like the combination. I love it actually. Uh, I, it's kind of a thesis in my book too that I think the combination of doing breath work while on psychedelics enhances the effect at the time and afterwards i really think when i think breathwork and anything having to do with oxygen increasing your oxygen capacity will augment all of your processes so whatever process is going on in your brain during the psilocybin experience i believe that more oxygen also augments that well that would I, sort of increase the blood flow in your brain too wouldn't it right the blood flow exactly mm -hmm. Which yeah is so that makes really... sense that it would be more active and yeah. more able to flow I don't know <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah and I I don't know how to uh, you know there's not a lot of research out there combining the two and I listen to a lot of podcasts with different psychedelic groups and I know there's definitely a hesitance for people to uh, mix anything so I've noticed a hesitance people either trying or really not a lot of talk about it about mixing breath work with psychedelics I've heard some People say, "Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mix it." Um, I don't really see why not. I don't think it's dangerous. I've done it so many times, and I feel so incredible during and after. And my life has just been so incredibly amazing these last three years. I, there's, there's just no way that I can say that what I, that that has created any, anything um, negative. You know, it's hard to hard to say, but I just I feel the benefits just enormous yeah. while I'm doing it. And, I kind of find it odd that 
they're sort of questioning whether or not you should breathe yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean like that's just sort of odd kind of, uh, i mean there's no toxicity in in these psychedelics breathing isn't bad i just don't see the danger i you know i i haven't seen this so i've i've practiced that a lot that's a big part of my book is let's use these together let's use a synergy and let's really you know augment what's going on um i feel like it's boost it really boosts the whole process you know 10 times even more effective than than only uh than just sitting there really so i started doing the the wim hof method i was breathing and just getting these blasts of what i believe is dmt um cool. through my body and feeling so so incredible and then i you know like i said i dissolved and the breath though because you're so into the breath and focusing on your breath during this breath work you're just so aware of it that i just i I became oxygen and carbon dioxide. That that gas exchange, I just kind of became that, and then my eyes were closed. So, so I, I had no more body. I was just I didn't feel my body. I just felt euphoria. So my body was I can really feel. I just wasn't anything except oxygen and then CO2. And I can I, I kind of dispersed out into everywhere in the universe, like all every corner of the universe. I was everywhere. I was everywhere. And at the same time, you know, this molecules. And I just continued doing that, and I really started to question whether I was alive or not. I thought, is this where we go when we die? And it's so incredible here. And I felt such peace, and I just thought, oh, this is so nice. This is so simple to just exist, to just be. And I just continued breathing and rode that out for a while. Then I opened my eyes, and everything came back. It was kind of like tra being transported from, you know, gazillion light years away to <laughs> back to the thousand, just like, whew, like a hyper, in a hyper fast speed into this physical world. And I was like, whoa, and I was feeling really strong. So I was having kind of trouble moving around. I had to go to the bathroom. Going so to the bathroom is wild on drugs, eh? <laughs> it is, you know, it's a real hassle. <laughs> it's a real hassle. And the it's whole time experience. I was thinking, I was thinking the diff. It felt like I was in a meat bag and I was an alien. You know, I was this this force of the soul that just kind of got plopped into this meat bag that I had to go and navigate over to the bathroom and do its thing, and then just get back to laying down and back to out there. You know, out there is where I wanted to be. It was everything was perfect out there. Yeah, it just felt was, like an inconvenience. Yes, yeah. very much. Yeah, <laughs> anything to do with with the body felt oh, like yeah. an inconvenience. You know, and That's it was where all clear. our problems lie, is within our mortal body, yeah. really. Exactly, you know, and all these things you hear uh, about, uh, you know, it's very true. You, you understand those truths in this time, that, that all the pain we feel, all the suffering, whether it's emotional or physical, whatever it is, it's, it obviously is the cost of having this body. Mm -hmm. And it's, it is, it's, it comes with the body. And you have this deep understanding that, you have this gift, you have this body, and you've got to treat it right, and it's going to go through pain, and eventually it's going to dissolve in itself, and you have to accept that, and it's just a very clear understanding of the price to pay for life, you know, and the beauty of life. Yeah. Uh, it, it was just that knowing, that intrinsic noetic knowing of, of that truth, you know, and, and gratitude of that. Um, and that was incredible, and I did that for a while, and then I was 
No, I started trying to think about any issues I needed to resolve. Uh, this was last year, so this is before the current sort of family issues that I created, you know, um, happened. So one of these issues, but my family's always had issues. Uh, my mom's getting up there very old. She doesn't have too much time left. A lot of things to think about, you know, and so I was trying to visit these areas to see if I had sadness, depression, any leftover depression or anything that I hadn't worked out yet. And I couldn't really find anything because I was so damn ecstatic and euphoric and just so amazed at the um, the miracle of life and just the, the odds of being here. Uh, that there was really no room for sadness, you know. I, I, I was really trying to focus on my mom because that is something that, you know, I haven't been able to hang out with her a lot in my life because we just have traveled so much and work and whatnot, you know, and with so much of the philosophical aspect of this book, I have thought about death a lot. I use I use death to mortality to really fuel my gratitude and urgency and focusing on the right things in life right now, you know. So I think about that a lot and it gets me sad that, you know, she doesn't have too much time left. And so I was trying to focus on that, but I again, I just had this overwhelming gratitude for even being born and the fact that she made it this, you know, to this age in life and she's relatively healthy and the life she lived was incredible. I included a chapter in the book about my dad and my, my family pretty much. They made it through incredible odds to, to bring us here to the U.S. And, you know, so I saw all the positive things. I, I couldn't really feel the sadness or, or fear or any of that. And you know, I was just like, wow, okay. So, you know, checking checking them off, you know, one by one. Like, okay, no fear. Okay, no, no depression. Everything's good. All right. <laughs> and uh, it was incredible. And then I started having a vision of my dad. So I'm thinking about him. And I saw at this point, it was I think it was definitely peaking, the peak experience, probably three, four hours into it. And my dad ran a lot. He was a boxer. He ran a lot. He ran half marathons, marathons, uh, very active, very indigenous, always barefoot his whole life, never wore shoes, never mm -hmm. liked them. Um, really incredible, unique man. Uh, <laughs> so and so I had his his vision. And I saw him, and then I saw where he came from, and I saw his entire lineage popped up in all thousands and thousands of years. I looked into the into the past of, of the indigenous um, heritage and and uh, my own family's lineage. There resides right there in Mexico. And it, at this time, during this journey, I was on this um, farm, this organic farm up in the mountains in Oaxaca, and this room built out of clay and started the day with Temascal and the red earth and in a hot sauna. It was just such a like mystical spiritual setting. Um, horses right out right outside our windows. So magical. And so I had this theme, this indigenous theme in my head, and I saw my entire lineage from the beginning of time really to, from like the Big Bang really and, and the development of humanity and and then in particular with my dad though, of all of his ancestors, and they were running, they were running a marathon and they were carrying a torch. These thousands of Indians were running, running, and then it became a few Indians, and then there was, you know, one Indian was running a marathon and passing on the torch to his kid. And all of this is happening, you know, obviously very fast. Thoughts are just you know, going 
super super fast like you're saying it's hard to describe as you, as you're thinking it yeah but it was the overall image the overall vision passing the torch to his child and then the, and then that child grew and was running this marathon and, and passed it on to his child and then it went through generations generations that way up to my dad and they were running up this mountain and my dad was barefoot as he always was running marathon and his dad passed him the torch and he was running up the mountain carrying the torch and then I was at the top of the mountain and here comes my dad with the torch and then I grabbed the torch and then I started running you know he was passing it on to me and then that torch it morphed into the book this which wasn't out yet this was last year so I was still kind of had a lot of work to do on it so it morphed into the book and the documentary and the picture and and just everything I'm trying to do it, it morphed into I guess the best way I could describe it is the, the torch of sacred knowledge um, that resides in in the mountains of Mexico and the people of Mexico and the plants in the mescaline and the peyote cactus and the silos all of that knowledge all of that wisdom um, and this project and what I'm trying to do to get to raise awareness to save lives really so the the, the power of what this is and what, what I'm trying to do it became that you know and and then I ran off with that torch and then that's where I, I think I opened my eyes at that point and I was like blown away I was like whoa I mean because my did learn a lot from my dad and it is a big part of my book as well is the lessons that he taught me and I had they have a lot to do with a lot of this same stuff that I stumbled across he had been doing ice baths and breath work his entire life also we just never paid attention to it um, he was extremely stoic um, I just never realized it and a lot of lessons I really did learn from him and I realize it now and I realize it through this journey and and uh, so and that, yeah so that was that that's the epilogue in my book it's called the vision because I just I had this vision it was so clear you know what, what was going on and then after that I the next day then I decided how, okay, how am I going to integrate that you know obviously I had a lot of work to do and I just thought okay I need to develop a vision I need I, what am I going to do so the publishing of the book you know kind of developed in the documentary I'm still working on and uh, I want to if the book's successful I want to start a foundation to donate to psychedelic science just open a therapy facility maybe down in Mexico or somewhere where it's legal lots of things so I, I started working on that vision and that's kind of where the book leaves off that's awesome yeah I'm excited to read it I'm I'll order it up here soon and and then maybe we can get you back on after a while and we can talk about you know the progress you've made since and any progress you've made on your next book and you know definitely and, and then I'll be able to kind of ask more questions being sort of mm -hmm. more having more knowledge of of your journey and whatnot yeah that's true and then you know of course after you've read the book then definitely probably have a few specific questions that might uh, pique your curiosity yeah while I'm reading it I'll I'll make some notes of anything I'm I want to ask about or any, yeah. anything that like I would think somebody else could use Definitely. with their transformation and then we can talk about it on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Have some more selling features for you. Wink wink. wink. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um can you give me one second? Yeah, of course. Perfect time ten part two. Make sure you subscribe to the show and check out part three, along with all the conversations with the awesome guests we've had in the past. If you have anything you'd like to share on the podcast, email me at twotemplespodcast at gmail.com. 
The best way to support Two Temples is by sharing the show with your friends and on social media. Thanks for listening. Ciao for now.